Welcome to MOS 15, The Reunion. I'm Jonathan. My site was Lashinga in Miasa province, and I worked as a math teacher. And Jonathan, if someone did not remember you, how would you best describe yourself in 2010, 2012? White guy from Kentucky. I uh, got sent to Niassa province, housemate of Texas Chris, because there were two Chris's. Pretty shy. I think people generally describe me as an extrovert, but I felt like I was just trying to fit in at first and everyone seemed super, super cool. And <laughs> I didn't. You were in the top language group as well. Uh, yeah, I was, but I had a kind of a, a head start. In college, I studied chemical engineering. And when I was getting my master's in chemical engineering, I was just getting like burnt out on like math and science classes. And I wanted something different. So I was like, oh, let me take a language just for fun. I was like, oh, I'll take Spanish. And it didn't fit my schedule. And I was like, oh, I'll take Italian. Didn't fit my schedule. Portuguese fit my schedule. So I was able to take a couple semesters with a teacher from Portugal um, just for fun. So when I kind of came in, I had a little bit of a background. And what have you been up to the last 10 to 11 years? Um, okay, so when I came home from the Peace Corps, I moved back in with my family um, for a few months and I substitute taught. Um, I came out of the closet. I was not out in Peace Corps. Uh, I went to grad school in New York City um, to get my master's in teaching and I became a science teacher. Uh, I taught in New York City for a few years, I'm married um, an officer in the Coast Guard. Um, and so now I've bounced around the country um, you know, that military life of moving every two to three years um, and just finding different teaching jobs along the way. Did anyone in the Peace Corps know that you were gay? Not, I mean, maybe they guessed, but um, I never told anyone, not at all. Um, even with, you know, having an out gay Peace Corps housemate, I did not tell him. When did you know or think that, that you might have been gay? I've known since as long as I can remember. Um, my coming out process took a long time, mainly like kind of pre-college, like right when I was going to graduate high school, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come out now that I'm going to be out of the house. Um, I have a sister who's a year and a half older and literally right before I was going to come out, my sister decides to come out as a lesbian, um, stealing my thunder. But I kind of got to see like the rift that that created in my family and the way my parents reacted, namely my dad um, and the strife it caused. And so it kind of pushed me back further into the closet because I didn't want to experience that again and repeat that whole process. Um, so it just took a long time for me to, to get the courage. Um, and so that was kind of post Peace Corps coming back home and being like, okay, I'm, I got into grad school in New York City I'm moving away I'm gonna be on my own so I'm gonna say I'm gonna tell my parents now and that was my kind of coming out journey did you and your sister know of each other being gay nope uh my sister uh dated boys all throughout high school and um she never mentioned it to me I never mentioned it to her I was really kind of just like we both kind of did our own things and not knowing I mean even after my sister came out, I felt like I couldn't confide in her because I feel like, I don't know, somehow it might get out and destroy the family. Um, coming from like a 
you know, Kentucky, very religious conservative area, just didn't seem like the right thing to do until I was a little more independent. Did you know you wanted to teach while, while you were in Mozambique? So in undergrad and grad school, my first round of grad school, I was doing chemical engineering. I had some internships. I kind of knew senior year, first year of grad school that I didn't really want to do it for the rest of my life um, based on just the job experiences I had. Um, but I had started working at the math center. I was teaching uh, computer classes and English classes at Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky on the backside because it's mainly migrant workers who um, you know, take care of the horses and do all the hot walking and stall, stall and stable cleaning and stuff like that. So I worked with them a lot and really, really enjoyed it. But in my mind, I was like, nope, you have to be a chemical engineer. That's what you came to school for. Um, and then when I joined Peace Corps and started teaching, I was like, oh yeah, I really, really like this. Um, when I came back, I knew I wanted to kind of pivot. So I looked at all the Peace Corps Fellows programs that existed for returned Peace Corps volunteers and got into the Peace Corps Fellows program at Columbia um, for teaching. So what makes you happy now? It's just time with my husband right now for the past couple of years we've been living in rural Alaska. Um, being a Coast Guard officer, he's on a ship um, that's gone quite a bit. Um, last year he was gone for eight months, um, currently gone right now. So any kind of time that I can get with him uh, makes me super happy. Uh, travel, uh, we just recently took a trip to, to Norway and Finland um, in February, which kind of crazy, but uh, we got to see like Northern Lights. We could have seen them here in Alaska and we have seen them here in Alaska, but we wanted to like get above the Arctic Circle. And so we're like, let's go somewhere else. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with pickleball. I've been obsessed with pickleball for like the past five or six years. I don't know if you're familiar. It's kind of sweeping the nation. Uh, when we lived in Seattle, I learned. Um, and I've just kind of fell into like, I need to play pickleball. Like every time we move or get to a new duty station, I have to like quick Google, figure out what's the pickleball scene like, where are the courts, where do we need to be living? Uh, when we moved here to uh, Alaska and I was looking online, I was like, uh-oh, there's not pickleball. And I got here, there was like a group of like four people playing and it was like really low level. And I was like really, really sad. Um, but I've actually spent a lot of time working with the community and kind of like drumming up support. And two years later, we play five times a week and we have over 70 players um, for a town of about 6,000 people. So yeah, that's kind of like my passion. I teach beginner pickleball on Saturday. Um, it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I've, I've always been into puzzles. So recently I've been getting into cryptic crosswords, which are kind of like the British variant of crosswords. It's like word nerdiness, but to the next level. Um, Can you break that down a little more? What's it, so I'm, I'm not sure what a cryptic puzzle means exactly. So a cryptic puzzle would be where like standard crossword, right? But every clue has two parts. It has one part that's, your normal like definition that you would see in a regular New York Times crossword. And then the rest of the clue is a different way to get at the answer using wordplay, whether that be like anagrams, charades, um, reversals, deleting letters, adding letters to other words. 
Um, but they don't tell you which part is which, like which part is the definition and which part is the wordplay. That's up for you to figure out. So just different level of, of crosswords. They're actually the most common crossword type in the UK. Um, the New York Times does release one like every eight weeks or something. Um, but yeah, just, just the next level trying to get better at them. I American crosswords kind of got boring to me. Um, so trying something else. How did your Peace Corps experience prepare you for the lockdown and the pandemic? I don't, I don't really know if it did, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like lucky that I was able to kind of keep my job and teach remote. Um, it wasn't difficult. We didn't have like the run on toilet paper. We didn't like all that stuff was available where we were living. Uh, so I don't know how much it really helped. I mean, maybe just with the resiliency thing, like ability to adapt to change. Um, but yeah, I don't think it, they really correlated that much. The next section of questions are a little more rapid fire, but feel free to expand if you would like. How many first dates did it take you to meet until you met your husband? Three. That might be the best or the lowest for people that that met a new spouse so far. They're really lucky. And how many Peace Corps weddings have you attended? Uh, two, if you count my own. I also attended um, Jema and Crispy's. Are you planning to have any offspring? No, thank you. Uh, I always you know, say I have like 140, 150 kids um, because of teaching, but I have eight great nieces and nephews and I'm really happy in my role as an uncle. Um, we don't feel the need to, to have kids. Um, we're enjoying our, our, what is it? Like dink, double income, no kids lifestyle. <laughs> I'll say when, when I was teaching, when I had my own kid, it made teaching a lot better because I literally just had no time or extra energy to spend on teaching. Like I literally had a set schedule and after a certain time I had to go home because I had other stuff to do. It actually made teaching a lot better for me. Yeah. I just can't imagine like, like, you know, I love kids. I love working with kids, but after all day in a room of like 13 year olds, like I kind of want to go home and just like be in a kid free zone and have like a quiet house. Um, like I love my nieces and nephews, but give me a couple days with them. And I'm like, okay, I need, I need a little quiet space. Like I need a, to be able to step back from this. Not necessarily an argument to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, it's probably different if it's your own kid. That's what they say. But yeah, I don't know how teachers with kids do it, to be honest. They really don't care about their students as much as they used to. You can't. Yeah. That's one way. <laughs> I mean, you only have so much, uh, so much attention that you can give towards things. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you just get better at that as a teacher with or without kids, though. The more and more years you prioritize things and you realize like, yeah, I could spend five hours on this lesson and there's still ways to improve it and make it better to differentiate it more. Um, and you just have to figure out what's that point where you say, okay, enough's enough. And I think with more experience, you get faster at making a good lesson and you also kind of know like, okay, that's, that's adequate. That's good enough. And no matter how much time and energy you put on it, the students are still going to hate it. <laughs> or find some way to derail it do you have any cats 
No. Uh, my husband comes from like a cat obsessed family though. So he would love one. I just kind of detest cats. Um, it's just not my thing. My, I, I'm a dog person, grew up with dogs. Um, we've kind of not really committed to the dogs just because of us moving around so much and just wanting flexibility with like being able to travel on a whim or, you know, go on long trips, long hikes. Um, I think eventually we will get a dog, um, but cats ugh, don't at me, please. All you cat lovers out there. So how many teaching jobs have you had since returning from Moe's? I substitute taught when I came back uh, in Kentucky, then I taught in the Bronx then I taught outside of Seattle and then I taught in South Jersey and then I taught in Alaska. So five teaching jobs. And so how many cities have you lived in? Um, so if you can't want to move back to my parents, so in Owensboro, Kentucky, uh, New York City, and then in Jersey City, uh, Seattle, Cape May, New Jersey, and now here in Alaska. And then within a month, we'll be moving to Pittsburgh. So, so is that seven? Well, six and then plus Pittsburgh will be seven. When and where do you plan on settling down? Mm, this is such a great question. We, my husband and I talk about it a lot of like, when he gets out of the military, like where do we want to like set up shop? And it's really tough because as much as the moving sucks, like moving just sucks in general to, you know, cart all your stuff and figure out a new place and a new systems and a new job. At the end of the day, I kind of enjoy it to see new places and discover new things. Um, whenever we're getting near the end of a tour somewhere, I'm like kind of get stir crazy. And so the idea of picking a place to stay for what seems like the rest of your life, even though you can move, but it just seems so permanent, uh, is actually kind of scary. Out of the places we've lived so far, um, Seattle definitely tops the list. Um, if Seattle weren't so crazy expensive, maybe it'd be a more viable option. Um, but we really loved our time there. Uh, but we still have at least two or three more tours um, before that's an option so we have some time to think about it do you live on base here we do um, because housing is so limited um, that if base housing is available you can't get a waiver to live off of off of base uh, this is our first time that we've lived on base every other place we've lived off base i feel like it'd be a lot easier to move if you're living on base yeah why is that oh it's not your house you're just you know it's like Sorry. Yeah. It's like way more of a compound living. Maybe not. I don't know. Granted, it is pretty easy moving in the military because they move your stuff. We actually haven't had the opportunity to, to buy a house. I mean, I guess we could have, but buying a house for two years just to sell it um, doesn't make sense financially a lot of times. Um, so we've just mainly been renting. Um, and then here living on base, obviously it's kind of like renting, but not really. Um, I mean, you don't own the house, but you're also not paying rent either. So, but it's kind of a good deal. How have your politics changed? And if they've changed, which direction have they gone? Always super liberal and still liberal. If not, maybe a little more liberal than I was um, before Peace Corps, mainly just because I'm still a little more aware. Um, 
and care about politics a little bit more than I did. Who was the last Peace Corps volunteer you saw? In person, I saw um, Texas Chris and his now husband. Uh, when we were living in South Jersey, they came up and spent a, a couple of nights with us, which is a lot of fun. Who was the last Peace Corps volunteer you spoke with or texted? You know what? I was like thinking it was going to be someone else, but Drew Garland makes the list again. That dude is so well connected to all the PCVs. Just randomly, I got a text from him. He had originally sent like this random YouTube video he found of Daniel Forrest, me and uh, Charlie performing one of the songs that we did. I, don't, I think it was, I don't know if it was at mid-service or during peak, uh, what was the training called again? I can't <laughs> Pre-service training, P PST? PST, that's what it was. I'm almost positive it was Namasha. Yeah, the Namasha song. We had like we did multiple songs. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but he sent me that video and then um we end up like sharing our our Christmas card photos a little bit later. So yeah, Drew Garland for the win. I, there's actually been a recent run of just Drew Garland's lit listness. There's been no Drew talk for a while, so. Well, when Drew hears this, he's going to reach out to every Peace Corps volunteer that he hasn't been in contact with. Just to keep himself fresh. But this was actually pre, pre-podcast, so. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I should switch it. Before the podcast started, who was the last <laughs> Peace Corps volunteer that texted you? Yeah, there's a loophole in there right now. Who was the last Mozambican you either saw or spoke to? Um, I get quite a few text messages from... Uh, former students, um, well, not text, but like Facebook messages, same thing. Um, and the last one I got was from a student who was now a math teacher, which kind of made me feel good. Like, hey, Peace Corps doing the job, like working ourselves out of a job. I taught math and now one of my students is a math teacher. Um, just looking for resources for like problems and stuff. Uh, I don't know, if, like if you remember some of those textbooks that they have in, in Mozambique, they're just not the best um but i couldn't really like like ship a textbook and just like the cost and all that so i just found some good open source like online pdfs and and sent them his way so yeah i get messages quite often they're usually at odd times of the night due to the time zone differences and so it's like one message a day going back and forth um but it's always good to hear from them it was actually quite great um Five years ago, so about five years post Peace Corps, um, I went back to Mozambique and I actually took my husband with me and just kind of like didn't really tell everyone that I was coming. Like a few people knew, um, showed up um, in Lishinga. First day, like went for a walk. I was like, oh, let's walk to my old school. And just on the road, all of a sudden I heard like, um, like Professor Brownie, you know, Brown always became Brownie and it was one of my former students and like it was so great to see him and he was like where are you staying and I told him like next morning you know like 6 a.m of course like I'm getting texts already like hey we're all outside the hotel like come and hang out with us and they wanted to go get beers at, at that point it was like 7 a.m uh but it was just a really cool experience to like kind of come back and feel like, oh, I belong here. 
Did you put your husband through the Peace Corps experience? Did you guys do shoppas? Uh, we did. Well, we we lucked out that um, some of our Australian friends, because we actually flew into Malawi because it's just much easier to get to northern Mozambique from, from Malawi, um, that we had friends, um, Australian friends who lived in Mozambique who were happened to be in Malawi for like dental appointments. And so they gave us a ride back into Mozambique. But then we did like an open back shopa um, to uh, Lake Nyasa. And it was like all fine and dandy at first. And there was like so much room in the bed of the truck. We were all like sitting down and I kept on telling Ken, I was like, you know, like it's, it's going to get more full. It's going to get more full. And, you know, we were stopping at every little village along the way and putting more bags of maize and whatever and sodas to like the point where we're like barely hanging on like we're almost about to fall off and then we got to some other little village along the way and there was an entire like um dugout canoe just like giant dugout canoe that they decided to add on the top and there's like just no way it's gonna fit i was like ken it's gonna it's gonna fit like it's mozambique like they will find a way to get it on um and so they put it kind of like perpendicular to the direction of the truck. So it was sticking off the truck on either side by, I don't know, four or five feet. And then we were sitting behind it and like the trees are getting so close to the road oh, and Ken's freaking out like over, oh, it's going to hit a tree and then it's going to push the canoe off and then it's going to push all of us off, which was a valid concern. And it was really close uh, at some point. And yeah, Ken had like back issues for like days after that shopper ride. Um, so yeah, we, we, we didn't like posh pour it up. Granted, we stayed in like, like the nicest hotel in Lishinga, which is not like anything luxurious, but com compared to like our Peace Corps days, yeah, it was luxury, but we still did shoppas. We, we had a hitchhike once. Um, yeah. And I, I, something maybe I'm not too proud of because, you know, I'm like, oh, we got to fight corruption. We're not going to give in to bribes. But there's now a train service from Lishinga to Kwamba, and that didn't exist. Um, I mean, I think there was a train, but it wasn't a passenger train. So we were trying to get back down to the Malawi border when we were leaving to make our flight, and there were like no shoppas. And apparently that's the train day, so the shoppas don't run because everyone takes the train. So we're like, uh, well, I guess we're going to go to the side of the road and try to flag down a car to, to take us there. Um, so we went to the little police checkpoint and I kind of just went up to the police officers and I was like, Hey, we're looking, we're trying to get to Mandimba. Um, if you could stop any cars, <laughs> and I was like, guys want any snacks, any sodas and that sort of thing. Um, and then the next like Toyota Hilux that came down, they stopped it and pretty much told them that they were going to take us to the, take us to the border. Um, all for the, the price of 200 medicais, you know? So not my proudest moment, but we had to make that flight. So it could have been a lot worse. That that's a respectable bribe right there. You know, he's all right. Now we're gonna go pre-Peace Corps. Okay. Why did you join the Peace Corps? Well, I think that's when I was discovering that I didn't want to be a chemical engineer, like I previously mentioned. Um, kind of like the teaching thing. I think it was also kind of a form of escapism for me. Like satisfying that that wanderlust that adventure that I wanted um I'd always wanted to like study abroad never really had that opportunity so it felt like a little bit like hey I can have an adventure 
do what I'm enjoying, teach, and kind of maybe run away a little bit from um, my anxieties and worries about coming out of the closet. It's probably a good part of it. You know, in hindsight, I don't think I was accepting that fact when I was applying to Peace Corps that that's what I was doing. But I think there was a lot of that in there. Any good stories about uh, finding out you're going to Mozambique? Um, I, I kind of knew based on when I had my interview and they kind of nominate you for a position, like they said, like sub-Saharan Africa leaving in September, October or whatever it was um, with a Spanish language requirement. Um, so the only country like that left around that time with a Spanish language requirement was Mozambique. So they use Spanish instead of Portuguese because most people don't have a Portuguese background. Um, so I had a pretty good idea. Um, and then, so I wasn't super surprised when I got my invitation. What was your biggest fear about either Peace Corps or Mozambique before you left? I just think just not being able to do it. I didn't honestly have like much experience. Like, I mean, I you know lived on my own in college, but like just cooking and, and just traveling by myself, living in a third world country by myself. Um, yeah, Peace Corps was great for building my confidence. So I think worried that I was going to be that person to ET, right? And the stigma that comes around that. I'm very interested to see how the most 15ers that decided to leave early, what they'll say and how they'll talk about that decision to leave early. Because I'm sure that they had similar fears as the rest of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. And I not that there's not valid reasons to ET. And I, you know, totally respect that decision. But that was a totally like a me thing. Like, I remember talking to, um, I, I did the, whatever the trainer of training conference, you know, like when you first get your assignment and then you meet your like supervisor and there's like a little Peace Corps training. Um, in my like second year, like I helped lead the one for like the Northern volunteers. And so I was in Nampula and I was staying, um, at, you know, a nice hotel. And I remember Kayla coming to just like crash to get the few days in the hotel. And I remember us just like using that time just to kind of vent about some of our stresses and things. And um, I remember Kayla just being like, oh yeah, I don't care how bad this sucks. Like, I'm not going to ET. I'm not going to be that person. I was like, totally, totally agreeing with her. Um, And I know I might get some flack from the people who have ET, but that was just my mentality at the time that I got to stick it out no matter what. And I wasn't miserable at all. I mean, I, I didn't want to leave. Um, you know, like most of us, I probably, or like most of us, I was crying when I was, you know, on the flight out of Lushinga to go back. Okay. So now we're going to transition to training. So what about training in Namasha sticks with you? The thing that jumps out is just, I think my big like welcome to Mozambique was being in my, my homestay and just like the amount of roaches everywhere. Like there were so many roaches. Um, I kind of lived in one of the, like the posher houses in Namasha, like, um, like a two story, like old Portuguese home from back when Namasha was like, you know, like the escape from Maputo for the, the wealthy Portuguese. Um, but like you went into the little kitchen and if like you open the drawer for where the silver is kept, like expect to see like, you know, 50 roaches crawling over the silverware. Um, 
so yeah that just really sticks out to me it's just like it's like not your house like what do you do um you just kind of deal with it but it always made me a little wary of like when I was eating the meals and using the forks and the silverware just because I'm like oh Bridget's have been all over this and then do you have any good stories about your indoor bucket bathing <laughs> seems like you might know something already James um yeah so we had actually had an indoor bathroom like a bucket flush toilet there's no running water but there was like an old you know tub in there um where I could take a bath there was no light in that in that bathroom like maybe at one point there was a light bulb up above but it had never been replaced or just didn't work and there was a tiny little window that didn't get much light so I went in there once and I would sometimes like just bring a candle in there to try to, to try to see, to, to bathe, but it was mainly by feel. But I had my little candle going in the shower, bucket bath. And all of a sudden I hear this noise from the side and it's my little host brother, junior, who was apparently on the toilet. Um, I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. And he starts giggling. And I was like, junior, like, what are you doing? Like I, I'm naked. And he like runs out laughing. I'm like, okay, that's, whatever he's like seven or eight not that big of a deal and then at dinner that night he tells my host mom he says like I saw Manu Joao naked and Mama Carla looked at me like what you know in my terrible beginner Portuguese there I was trying to explain what happened that I wasn't just like wandering around naked uh, in front of Junior though I don't think she really cared that much but to me is, is it possible he snuck in after you already started? I think he was in there the whole time and just didn't say anything. Because like, I would have seen like if the door opened, then a, more light would have come in. So I'm pretty sure he was just in there doing his business and said nothing. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'd already started like you know, <laughs> wetting myself with water by the time he made a noise. All right, let's transition to your actual service. What three words would you use to best describe your experience? Um, confidence building. We're going to say that that's hyphenated. So that's one word. Um, walking, just using my feet to get everywhere. Uh, and friendships with Mozambicans and Peace Corps volunteers alike. What do you miss most about Mozambique? So I will say to this data, my favorite place in the world is being on the shores of of Lake Nyasa. Um, on the Mozambican side, that's a little less developed. Like the stars there at night laying on the beach are just like no other place on earth. So I really miss having that getaway. Can I interrupt you briefly? Yeah. So Lake Nyasa is called Lake Malawi in Malawi, right? That's the same lake? Correct. Yeah, it's the same. It's also one of those things that doesn't really make sense because Nyasa in in Nyanja, um, which is kind of the language along the lake, the local language means lake. So when you say like Lake Nyasa, it's really saying Lake Lake. What do the locals call it? Uh, they call it Lago Nyasa. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe the people living along the lake in Nyanja just call it Nyasa. I'm not sure. That wasn't the local language in Lishinga. Okay. And then I interrupted you. You're talking about the stars and it was actually really cool because I got to share that with my husband when we went um, down to the lake. It's a little different now though, because the the village of Maponda 
now has electricity and they didn't before. So there's a little bit of light pollution. So the stars aren't quite as great, but great for the people in Mabunda for getting access to electricity. When I looked at this question, I was just thinking about the way that you're kind of treated by Mozambicans who view you as friends. Um, I remember spending a lot of time at one of my Mozambican friends' house. He was a teacher at my school. Um, and he lived know, probably a mile and a half, maybe two miles away from, from my house. But no matter what, at the end of like every time that I hung out over there and I was going to go back home, like they would insist on like walking me back to my house um, the full way there. And then they'd have to walk all the way back. And it's just little things like that, that like just really meant a lot. And so I don't know if, I mean, you might see someone to the door now, but you're never going to be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll walk you all the way back to your house in the, in the U.S. Maybe, you know, maybe we should start that. Well, it, it's sad that most places in the U.S. aren't walkable though, right? You'd have to get into your car. It'd take a while. It'd take, it'd take you like three weeks. Yeah, it'd take you a while for sure. What do you miss least about Mozambique? Public transport, Chapas. It's got to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm like too old for that anymore, even though I'm not that old. But even going back, like I would have been like five years after, I don't know, like I was like 31 or something. Um, I was like, this is way worse than I remember it. Yeah, I agree. I, there's no way I would be able to travel like I did. Mm -hmm. How's your Portuguese? Done that. I freaking love Portuguese. I'm like, I'm like a language nerd. I mean, I'm a nerd in a lot of things. Um, but like all my electronics are in Portuguese. Anything that I can put in Portuguese is in Portuguese. Um, I listen to Portuguese radio uh, all the time. I'll ask like my my speaker in the house, which I don't want to say the name now because I don't want it to activate, but um, <laughs> to like play the, the top songs in Portugal right now. Um, just to like constantly practice with the listening. So my listening skills are actually really good. Um, speaking is not the best anymore just because I don't have anyone to practice with. Um, this past summer, I hiked the Camino de Santiago from Lisbon to Santiago, Spain. Um, so Lisbon and going north all the way up through Coimbra and Porto and then into Spain. So I got to use my Portuguese a lot and it was nice how like quickly it came back. Um, and I felt like I did a decent job with my Portuguese um, while I was there. Have you learned any other languages? I have not. Um, my Spanish was decent before going. I feel like now it's that Portuguese, right? Um, I've had to use Spanish quite a bit in talking to like students, families, parent teacher conferences. And I always just kind of preface it with like, I don't really speak Spanish. I speak Portuguese, but I'm going to do my best. Um, but we can always get the message across. But no, Portuguese, English, and then that little bit of Portugal. What are a few things you did a lot in Mozambique that you never or rarely do now that you haven't mentioned yet, I guess? Carrying water on my head, um, or trying to at least. The Our water situation in Lishinga was... Like originally we could get water from the school tap that was next door, but then the pump broke. And so that only lasted like the first month. So we had to get our water from a neighbor's well. Um, and, you know, I'd always try to carry it back in Mozambican style, but I'm just not, I'm just not as strong 
or as capable as a Mozambican woman who were freaking badass. And um, yeah, I got to where I could do like the one hand, right? With a full you know, five gallon bucket or maybe more than that, but never the hands free. Even with trying to like wrap the the capillana, you know, to help with the head, but just couldn't do it. No, the water bucket is very impressive. I also right. could never get that. Yeah. I, I could carry like bags on, on my head, you know, mm-hmm. the, they'd formed your head that, that was, wasn't as hard. Like that was actually a lot easier than, than most people would think. Yeah. But the bucket of water. Yeah. That's, that's skill. Yeah. I would just get admonished by all of the Mozambican women at the well. Like you need to pay someone to do that for you. Like you're terrible at this. And it's like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> what was your malaria medication adherence plan? Um, it was okay at first. And then I just felt like time I got to sight, I was just like very angry, just felt angry all the time. Um, and I had a a weird side effect that I can't a hundred percent attribute to the malaria medicine, but when I stopped taking it, it went away, but I would like be teaching in front of my students and I would just get this sensation that I was like wetting myself um and like freaking out like I'd like quick like step out of the classroom and like I'd have to like check because I felt like I was wetting myself this sounds really really weird but it's the truth I wasn't um and it just kept happening and then when I stopped taking the medicine um it went away so I didn't completely go off of it I just didn't like take it as often as I should have and I think when I traveled um, I would take it really the mosquito situation wasn't too bad in Lushinga itself. Like it's Lushinga sits up on the, the high plain, one of the coolest sites in terms of weather, like kind of along the lines of like Angonia where Amanda and Ariel were, um, yeah, just mosquitoes weren't a huge issue. Like there were mosquitoes, but it wasn't insane. Did anyone from the U S visit you while you were in Mozambique? Uh, one, I have my friend Joe from college came to visit and it'll be a trip that he'll always remember. Maybe not in the way that he wanted it to, but, uh, he flew into Malawi. I met him in Malawi, um, started off kind of shaky with, we were trying to get to the border before they, the border closed to get back into Mozambique. Um, we were in a shop that just wasn't filling up. So, you know, they're not going to leave. They're not full. This other car came along, like a private car, and I asked, "Is like, hey, are you going? Can we get with you? Uh, ride with you? We'll, you know, pay you the normal fare." They said yes, but then the shopa driver got mad that we like left his shopa, so like stood in front of the car and like, like didn't let us leave and was yelling and screaming. And I was just, I was a little more chill about it, and like it just happens, like just waited out, like the guy's eventually gonna move, uh, and he did. But my friend Joe, I think, was a little freaked out. We. Get to the border, we have to race across the border. Um, the Mozambican side is already closed, and they said, Nope, you have to come back tomorrow. But I just kind of pulled the oh, like I want, like, I'm a teacher, you know, because teachers are highly respected. I brought my friend all the way from the US to try the famous beans of Nyasa. Um, <laughs> like, they love their beans in Nyasa. Nyasa beans are the best. Um, and they opened it back up, let us in. We get back to our house that, that night uh, in Lashinga, only to, to have someone try to break in that night, um, which 
I, if you interview my housemate Chris at some point, he's gonna he's gonna like rail me for being the person who like Chris knocked on my door, told me there's someone trying to break in, and I woke up, responded, and then fell back to sleep. Um, and he gives me a lot of grief about that. Uh, but then yeah, so my friend Joe is first night at the house, and Chris are like barricading the door um, as someone is trying to get in. Uh, I think they just saw extra people there that night and Kyla, Kyla was there too, actually, because Kyla had come up with us um, to visit at the same time. So yeah. And then, so it was like, okay, I'm going to take my friend Joe to the lake because he needs to relax. This has been a kind of a crazy experience. Well, on the shopper ride to the lake, we get to, I think it was Maniamba, a small village, but there was apparently some like police violence against someone in the village and the villagers were upset about it. We're not allowing any of the shoppers to pass through. So our shoppa got there and they started like shaking it and trying to like flip it over. And our shopper driver had to like quick go into reverse and like go around the town and like speeding like through, like, you know, making his own like Portamatu. Uh, anyway, so it was just a, an experience and a half for my friend Joe. Um, all in all, I think it was a good trip, but if you ask him about it, he was pretty terrified the whole time. Yeah, got the full experience all in a period of a week. And you haven't mentioned what your most trouble you could have gotten into was yet. Yeah, um, I forget who was saying that they're like a huge rule follower. Was that Vivian? Maybe I don't remember. I don't remember. Like half the people I think have been rule followers. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big rule follower. Um, I took, I could have gotten in a lot of trouble when I travel out of country, but I did let the, like, them know that I was leaving. Um, I went to Malawi, um, and when I came back, they denied me entry. Remember, that, like, how Peace Corps had so many issues with, like, our visas? Well, like, we thought, Peace Corps told us that we had, like, the multiple entry visas, but then I tried to get back in. They denied my entry and said it was only a single entry visa. And... You know, I was like so sure that Peace Corps was right about this, that I had a multiple entry visa and I thought they were just trying to like get a bribe out of me that I argued and argued like, no, they were the ones right. Like we had the wrong visas. Um, I had to buy a tourist visa to get back in. That was only for like 15 days or something. Um, and then when I called Peace Corps about it, they were like, um, can you just go to like the provincial office of immigration and see if they can give you one. <laughs> it was like, okay, come on, Peace Corps. Like, you're the ones who should be taking care of this. But yeah, I had to go down to the office and like beg to speak to the Directora Provincial um, and just kind of like, you know, kowtowed around her and like begged for a visa. Um, and she ended up giving me one, a multi-entry visa that I did have to pay for, but Peace Corps reimb reimbursed me. Then I remember like Peace Corps headquarters, like calling me like, hey, we're trying to do this for all other volunteers. Like, what did you do? Like, can you tell us how you did it? And I was just like, I don't know. I just like, you know, played, played coy and shy and like helpless. So please, please give me a visa. I want to stay. But yeah, I guess I could have gotten a lot of trouble, but I didn't. But did you get permission or you're just like, hey, I'm going to Malawi? No, I did get permission. So, I'm so glad I did because I was you know calling Peace Corps in the process and like if I was stuck outside the country it could have been pretty bad. How has or how did your Peace Corps experience change you? 
I think just becoming more resilient, um, being a military spouse, um, like just, we have to move, you know, like I said, all the time. And I've had to adapt to a lot of new situations, new jobs. And I think that Peace Corps has given me that confidence that, yeah, like I can do anything. I can go here and I can make it work. Um, like when we found out we were moving to rural Alaska, it wasn't like, oh my God, like it's going to be awful. I'm like, no, it's fine. Like there's a grocery store, like <laughs> we'll make it work. You know, it's not, it's not the end of the end of the world. Whereas some people I feel like who've moved here, um, other spouses just kind of like, they really freak out and like, they can't handle it. Um, can't handle the isolation. I live on an Island, so it's not easy to get on and off. Um, but yeah, I got that Peace Corps background too to make me stronger. That's what I'm going to say. I probably should have asked this earlier, but how developed is your island? I mean, it, like we have a, we have one town and it's about 6,000 people. Um, half of that is actually military. Um, but we have, we have like a grocery store. There's not really anywhere to buy clothes on the island. Um, you can order things from Amazon. You don't get two day shipping. You know, it's usually a month or so, but we have, we have one road that goes about 40 miles um, and they keep about 20 miles of that clear in the winter. And then the rest of it, they don't, cause there's no one who lives out there. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. Like I'm looking right now out at the windows at snow covered mountains, like in my backyard. So the, the nature here is just gorgeous. Bear watching in the summer is fantastic. Uh, it just does feel a little, disconnected at times especially when it's super dark in the winter there's not much going on can't really access most of the island because either there's no roads there or the roads are not kept clear do you have a snowmobile i don't no you mean a snow machine um most of the last a snow machine yep yeah. sorry alaskans <laughs> no you can call it a snowmobile i'm not i'm not alaskan even though my id says i am now have you picked up any any outdoor winter sports? I have not. I mean, I've ne had never gone snowshoeing before, and we do some snowshoeing here. Um, I tried skiing and snowboarding, not in Alaska, but before, um, and just failed miserably. And then we're kind of where I live. Like, if you do any sort of skiing, like people like hike up the mountain and then ski down. You know, there's no like chairlifts or anything like that. That just does not interest me. <laughs> and then besides how you changed, what lasting impressions does your Peace Corps experience have on you? I mean, I think it's made me a better teacher. Empathy, being more culturally aware. Um, it just kind of like wet my appetite for adventure and new things. Like I'm never content just like staying like I, I want to go I want to do things uh, as much as possible um, so I feel like in that way it's changed me or maybe I was always that way and Peace Corps just affirmed that uh, you know what I was actually thinking about this is not related to this question but I think Vivian was saying maybe it wasn't Vivian I'm having trouble remembering someone was saying that when they came back from Peace Corps like everyone was like, oh, you're just talking about Peace Corps too much. Like, that's all you ever talk about. Um, 
And that reminded me that my husband told me like, well, after we were married that he was just like, when we first started dating, he was just getting sick of hearing about Mozambique. And I was like, but that was, that was so my life. That was like my recent experience. And I think he understands that in, hind in hindsight, but um, that like struggle of coming back and like having all this, the stories and information and not having anyone you can really relate to, which I think worked really well um, doing the Peace Corps Fellows Program um, because then I was around all these returned volunteers who all had similar stories that they wanted to share and we could kind of geek out together over those things. Did you have any difficulties transitioning back to the US? I mean, I think just that sense of like, no one really understood what my experience was like. And I think my, my bond with um, my friend, Joe, who I'm still great friends with today um, is just stronger because he did visit me and he kind of experienced that part of my life. Do you have any Fofoka to share? So I was going to say no, and I'm not going to mention a name here in case this person doesn't want me saying this, but this happened post Peace Corps. And I think it's great Fofoka and I think it's fabulous and amazing. But I think it was like 2020, right? So like lockdown, looking for things to do. And like a lot of these Zoom events went online. Um, and we had started playing uh, Drag Queen Bingo like uh, via Zoom. And it was a lot of fun. So I was like, oh, let's do like a, a Peace Corps night. So I invited um, a bunch of Peace Corps people, not a bunch, but like six um, people I was closest with in Peace Corps. Uh, to join. So we had like a pre bingo, like cocktail hour, and then we played bingo. Is this over Zoom? Um, one of the rounds, um, one of the volunteers, most 15 volunteers, bingoed, but bingoed with someone else. So the host asked that in order to decide who like actually gets the prize, there had to be a dance off. Um, and so they had a few minutes to prepare. Well, said Peace Corps volunteer had been taking pole dancing lessons and had a pole in her living room. And, oh, I just dropped a pronoun, so now everyone knows mm, it's a she. Mm. Um, that still doesn't narrow it down. Anyway, she performed a pole dance and it was freaking incredible. And the, the online crowd went wild. And yeah, that person should be really proud. And they won the prize, so. It was a lot of fun. It was it was a really fun way to reconnect. And it was just like to see everyone and see what people have been up to. Would you do Peace Corps again? And if so, when? I think so. I um I would love to do it like as a married couple down the road. Like maybe not when we're like crazy, crazy old, but you know, post re retirement for my husband. Um in you know, a country that would accept a gay couple. I don't know how that would be like serving as a gay couple in Mozambique. Um, I think they allow it. I think I looked up once. I don't know if it's happened yet. Okay, that's another thing we can fact check on the Slack group. Yeah, we need to do that. All right, so now we have some post Mozambique media recommendations. So I was thinking like songs, music, I am a sappy ballad person. Like I really love a sappy ballad and especially if it's in Portuguese or Spanish, I'm kind of obsessed with the Portuguese artist uh, Fernando Daniel. And 
the Spanish artist Pablo Albaran. So if you want to look those up, um, highly recommend it. Um, and then for a song, I thought I would do a throwback song to Peace Corps Mozambique because you probably haven't thought of this song and you should think about it. Um, James, do you remember the song Prasumu Anu? Uh, not, not without a melody or some music. Oh, I, I will not sing it because everyone's ears do not need to bleed right now. Um, but it was just like played and played in every baraka in you know, probably all across Mozambique on repeat. Um, we actually played it at our wedding and it was just like all the Peace Corps volunteers like came out and just like jammed to that song while everyone else just looked on as like, what's going on here? Who are these crazy people dancing to this ridiculous song? Did you share that song on the Slack group? I think I might have. I think I think I might have posted a YouTube link. Okay, then in that case, I do remember it, but I don't remember it by the title. Okay. I mean, it's a very repetitive song, so like it gets in your head. Nonfiction book? Yeah, I don't read a lot of fiction. I, I most recently just read um, A Carnival of Snackery by David Sedaris. I love all of David Sedaris stuff. It's just so funny. Um, this is just kind of a collection of his like, uh, like journal entries and had me rolling on the floor laughing I like, wanted to share them with my husband but he was on the ship and so like the only way to really like contact him is like email when he gets um signal every every now and then so like I had the physical copy of the book not like a digital copy so I was like retyping entire like sections and journal entries just to send to him because they were so great and so good um so highly recommend a carnival of snackery and David Sedaris, surprisingly, because he had a connection here, came to do a reading in my small town in Alaska um, last year. Um, I got him to sign um, a copy of one of his books that I had and got to meet him. David Sedaris was unmasked. I was masked. But during his reading, and I was sitting in the audience, I met him before the show and he signed my book. I was like, oh, my throat's a little scratchy. Like, I don't know if I feel the best. Um, and then it turns out that was my my first time to get COVID. And then he was on um, like CBS Sunday morning, like two weeks later or maybe three weeks later, talking about how his like little tour of Alaska and how like he got COVID in Alaska. So I like to think that maybe, I don't like to think, but <laughs> I don't like the idea that I might've given him COVID, but I probably gave David Sedaris COVID. Luckily, he's okay. Are there any films, TV shows, books, or anything that you ingested a lot in Mozambique that you still revisit? So I just watched a lot of like like comedies and like lighthearted stuff. I I've never been one to watch a lot of serious dramas. Like I, I think I watched the first season of Breaking Bad, and it was just like too stressful. Like I've never finished it um, since. But I remember like we would get. Uh, like those bootleg DVDs off of the street and we got one time like the only one that they had like the guy was selling it like 10 copies of the Hannah Montana movie um, but it was like completely dubbed in Brazilian Portuguese and I was watched it one night with um, most 16 er named Laura who ended up being a site mate in Lushinga and yeah it's just that movie is just so good especially in the over-the-top Brazilian Portuguese um, and if Laura's listening, I just want to say one word to Laura, which is borboleta. She'll know what it means. 
Well, you should find yourself a copy of Hannah Montana dubbed in Brazilian Portuguese. But I don't think it was like the official dub. Oh, it's absolutely not. No, no, no. You got to dig hard. You got to dig hard on (laughs) that one. Some some random Brazilians who just decided to sit around and like dub this movie in their own voices. And it was so bad. All right, Jonathan, do you have anything else to share? Uh, Just a big thank you to you, James, for doing this. Um, It's been incredible to catch up with everyone. Um, I really enjoyed hearing everyone's stories and what they're what they're up to um so thank you to you and thank you to all those 15 years who made my experience what it was and helped shape who i am today okay well thank you for your time we we have been going for a while now so all right james thank you hey most fam this is shane from mo 16 shimoyu James was very generous to give me a minute here to speak about Friends of Mozambique, which is a 501c3 nonprofit founded by Moz RPCVs is a way of continuing to make a positive impact in Mozambique post-Peace Corps service. The most important thing that we do is fund small grants to community groups in Mozambique. Projects have ranged from everything from teaching girls to code to youth empowerment through soccer. As a small organization, we are very intentional about choosing small, always less than $1,500, but impactful projects to get the most bang for our donors' buck. The best thing about Friends of Moe's is that 100% of donations go directly to projects in Mozambique. We have essentially zero overhead and have a great board, including former country director Carl Swartz, Peace Corps staff Ophelia Shuva, and uh, several RPCVs who you may know. If you want to learn more about Friends of Moe's, go to friendsofmozambique.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, we're not on the TikTok yet, but maybe one day. You can learn more about our projects and make a donation if you are able. We guarantee your donations will be making a huge impact in Mozambique. Um, thanks, everyone. Estamos juntos.